Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, you guys, there is so much more to life than just workouts and healthy recipes. This is all of those real moments, the good, the bad, and the sometimes hilarious things that make life so worth living. So how do you live it? This is the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Let's Do Life podcast. I'm fitness and nutrition expert, Autumn Calabrese. Today, we're going to talk about something that's a little bit deeper. We're going to talk about something that affects so many women and often goes unsaid, untalked about, not talked about. We're talking about life after a miscarriage. A few weeks ago, it was my son Dominic's 12th birthday, and I was reflecting back. I can't believe it's been 12 years, and he's 12 going on 25. But most people don't know Dominic is my rainbow baby. Uh, When I was trying to conceive, I actually had two miscarriages before I had him, before I became pregnant with Dominic and actually held on to my pregnancy. And it was a really hard time for me. Um, I was 26 ish, 26 ish, going on 27 when I became pregnant for the first time. And um, so I just want to talk about it. Like I said, I want to share my story. I hope that it just empowers other women to open up and talk about theirs because it is so hard. You suffer such a loss and you wonder, was it you? Did you do something wrong? And it, it can really stay with you for a long time. So Anyways, let's just, let's just, I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to just share my story with you guys. So like I said, I was 26-ish. I had been married for just over a year. My husband and I very much were trying to get pregnant. So I knew right where I was at in my cycle. I had the pregnancy test ready and waiting to find out if two pink lines showed up or not. Uh, Took my pregnancy test and two pink lines, sure enough, did come up, but they came up, for me, they came up very faint on the stick. They were definitely there, but they were not bright pink like you would expect them to be. And I remember thinking to myself, that's a little weird, but I also thought to myself, well, this is like the first day I could pee on the stick and possibly get a positive. So that's probably all it is. And I waited a few days and I just decided I would take another test. And I took another test and I did get two more pink lines, but the same thing. They didn't get any brighter. And that to me was the first sign that there was a problem. So I called my doctor. I said, I have a positive pregnancy test. I said, the lines aren't very bright. He told me not to worry. And we set an appointment and I was going to go in a week later just for my first checkup. It was just a few days after I called my doctor to set that first appointment that I went to the ladies' room and I was bleeding a lot. And I called my doctor and I said, I'm bleeding a lot. And he said, chances are you're miscarrying. Most women would not have even realized that they were pregnant. Obviously, you were trying, so you took your test. But, you know, most people would have just thought their period was a few days late. But come on in you know, I'll check you anyways. And so I still went in for my appointment and sure enough, I had in fact miscarried. And that one was really hard for me. It it happened very quickly. Like it was all within a week. I found out I was pregnant and I started bleeding all within a week. So 
I didn't have too much time to get super excited and to start thinking about this little life growing inside of me, but it still rocked my world. Like I said, I was 26 years old. I didn't really understand, like, was it something that I had done? I was uh, a personal trainer, so I had been working out. What, you know, did I eat something wrong? Did I have a glass of wine that I shouldn't have? I just, I really didn't understand it. And you guys, when I was 26, I'm 40 now. When I was 26, social media, it wasn't a thing. Like there wasn't even Facebook. I think maybe it had been invented, but it wasn't out. The first time I actually signed up for Facebook was when Dominic's was like three months old and he was in my arms as I filled out like my Facebook thing, trying to figure out what it was and what I did. So when I was 26, there were, there wasn't this, um, these platforms out there with other women sharing their stories and no one in my family had had a miscarriage. My mom had five kids. Um, my sister had one and was working on her second. I believe she might have, mm, she might not have been pregnant yet, but um, with her second. But I, there wasn't really anybody to talk to and share my story with. I didn't really know anybody that had miscarried. So I sort of let that, I had to just like let it go. I didn't really have any answers. The doctor said, don't, you know, just happen sometimes. It's not your fault. And uh, we went on about life. My husband and I went on about life. And the doctor said to let a month go by in between just to give my body a rest and then we could try again. So that's what we did. We let a month go by in between. We tried again. And I don't think I got pregnant that month. It, it, I believe it was the next month. So there was about three months in between. And this time it was right around Christmas. So I took the test. I was excited. I got another positive. This time the lines were super bright. So excited. Um, I remember trying to come up with like a creative way to tell my husband I wanted it to be a surprise. I wanted him to be all excited. I uh, emptied out a Mike and Ike's box because he liked Mike and Ike's. So no candy actually in it. But I put the pregnancy test in there and I gave it to him when he got home from work. And I was like, oh, look, I got you your candy. And we were talking and he he wasn't opening the box. And I was like, don't you want your Mike and Ike's? And uh, he was like, oh, sorry. Yeah, no. And he opened it. And he, then obviously the pregnancy test came out. He saw that it was positive, super excited. Um, Christmas was like a week later. So we decided that even though it was really early, you know, we had those two bright pink lines, we were going to tell the family. Probably not the smartest idea, but again, we were so excited. And so, and sure, like I had all the signs and symptoms. I was nauseous and my boobs hurt and I was exhausted. So I was... I was like, all right, this is it. You know, I'm having a baby beyond excited, like called my dad. I told my dad at the time my dad lived in Ohio and he was with my family that all lived in Ohio. And he was like screaming on the phone, autumn's pregnant, autumn's pregnant, like, and everybody's cheering in the background. And then for Christmas, we go down to San Diego to see my husband's family. And he's got a very big Hispanic family and everybody's around and we had decided to tell them we put it um, on an ornament at, like to give to his mom. And so she opened the ornament. She was like looking at it. And she was like a little confused because it said pee in the pod. And it took her a second. And then she said, oh, my God, Miha, are you pregnant? And then everybody started cheering. Yay, yay, yay. Yes, I'm pregnant. And uh, holidays go by. Everything's great. And a few weeks later, I had a doctor's appointment. First checkup. 
So it had been about three weeks at this point. Everything was going as as I felt it should be. There was no indication that there were any problems. Like I said, I had all the symptoms of pregnancy with the nausea and, and uh, the boobs aching and tiredness and, and food aversions. So it all hit me pretty quick. And I went to the doctor's appointment and they did the first uh, vaginal ultrasound and the doctor was looking at the screen and I could tell right away by the look on his face that something wasn't right. And he's looking at the screen and he's looking at the screen and he said, well, you know, you're still really early. <clears throat> he said, I, I see the sack. I don't see a heartbeat yet. And my heart just fell into my stomach and I, and I started crying and he said, don't get upset. You know, it's probably nothing like it's, you're just really early. We just might not be able to see the heartbeat yet or hear the heartbeat yet. Like you're fine. It's okay. We're going to, I'm going to have you come back in a week and we'll check again. Okay. So go home. And if you've never suffered one, hearing that you don't understand every day feels like a week. So just having to wait that week and wondering, you know, was everything okay? Was everything okay? Was torture. And in my gut, I kept thinking it's not okay. I can just tell something's not okay. Even though I had no indication, my body still was doing all the same things. There was no bleeding, spotting, nothing. Um, and the doctor had reassured me multiple times not to worry. And we went back a week later and did another ultrasound and still a sack, but still no heartbeat. And the doctor said this time, and he said, it's, it's still, it still could be a little early. But I could see again on his face that he was pretty sure that the baby had already stopped growing, that no baby had actually grown. The sack had grown, but no baby had grown inside it. And he said, we're not going to do anything yet. You're going to come back in one more week because we have to be sure. Like, I just, I just want to be sure before we take any action. And so I went home and I was still working. I remember I was training a client and I was in between clients and I stopped to use the restroom at the coffee house. And sure enough, I started spotting and I went back to the doctor and the sack was still there. So he said, well, you're, you're probably miscarrying, but the fact that your body isn't really doing it the way it's supposed to, like it's not eliminating on its own, we actually have to take you in for a DNC. So this is where they actually have to put you under and essentially evacuate the pregnancy because nothing grew, but the sac was there. So that was my second miscarriage. I went in for the DNC. They put me under and yes, like, I mean, I, there wasn't a baby, obviously, like I said, but it was the start of it and it was devastating. And it felt like everybody around me was pregnant. My clients were pregnant. I had a specialty in pre and postnatal fitness. Um, you know, I'm a trainer. I take such good care of my body. I could not understand what was going on. Why, why two pregnancies that didn't take that didn't hold what was my body failing me was I not going to have the opportunity to be a mom everything was going through my mind um the but the doctor basically said you have to take three months like your body needs a break take three months and because he couldn't quite give me any answers there were just some things that didn't go great I didn't love 
that I was, I felt like I was being blown off. I guess I'll say that. I felt like I wasn't really being given the attention that I needed, the, like the sit down with the doctor and the explanation or anything like that. Like no questions were being asked. Why at 26 years old is this perfectly healthy person struggling to maintain a pregnancy? And I ended up talking to one of my other clients and she said, you need to go see my doctor. He's amazing. Um, he's the head of OBGYN at one of our, uh, one of the most prestigious hospitals here in Los Angeles, Cedars, Sinai. And so I said, okay, uh, I'm going to go see him and made my appointment. And I went in and saw him and I have to tell you guys, it was the best experience of my life. I'm so thankful for doctors like this. So I go in, his name is Dr. Paul Hackmeyer. He's retired now, but he was amazing. I go in, he brings me into his office, closes the door and we sit down and we proceed to talk for an hour. And he asks me all of these questions, like every question you can imagine about my health, my fitness, my uh, nutrition, past histories, my mom's past history, family history, and he asks me if I'm on any medications. And I said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm on a thyroid medicine. And he said, why are you on thyroid medicine? I, you know, everything here seems like you're perfectly healthy. And uh, I said, well, you know, a, a year ago I had, you know, uh, a physical and, and my blood work was done. And the doctor said I had low T3 and he put me on this thyroid medicine. And so he asked me what it was. I told him what it was. And, and he looked at me and he's like, mm, that's not right. And I said, well, what's not right? And he said, I, I, I'm not a specialist in this. So I'm going to send you to a colleague of mine who is a specialist in this. But this doesn't sound like it should be the medication that you're on. Like that's a medication for people with thyroid cancer. You don't have thyroid cancer, right? I said, no, <laughs> no. Um, and he said, I don't think you should be on that medicine and it could be causing your miscarriages. Oh, okay. So I left that office and I sort of had two feelings going on at the same time. One was a little bit of a sense of a relief to have somebody that just listened to me, uh, that heard me and heard my fear, my concerns, and that asked me questions. And on the other side, I had anger, a lot of anger, because I was like, why did this doctor put me on this thyroid medicine if I don't need to be on it? Uh, and, and now I've lost not one baby, but two, possibly like when, you know, there was nothing wrong with me to begin with. And a few weeks later, I went and saw the thyroid specialist that the new OB sent me to. And he had said, bring me the medicine you're taking. So I bring him the medicine I'm taking. And he's horrified. He's looking at it. And he's like, absolutely not. Absolute. Like he had already called the general practitioner to get all of my blood work and everything sent over to him from when the doctor decided to put me on the thyroid medicine. And he said, this is, this is crazy. I've seen all your lab work. You have no business being on this medicine. Stop taking it right now. There's nothing wrong with your thyroid. And I said, okay. And he said, you need to still wait another couple months because you have to get this medicine out of your system before you try to get pregnant again, because absolutely this could be causing your miscarriages. So again, left sense of relief, 
feeling like, okay, I have answers. Like I understand what's going on. It's not my body failing me. I'm on something that apparently I should not have been on. And, um, and again, anger, anger for, and questions about why I was put on this medicine. But I also just didn't feel like it was, um, worth the time and energy to try to drudge up. I wasn't going to try to go after a doctor. I don't think the doctor was anyway trying to harm me. The one that put me on the thyroid medicine, um, just an unfortunate circumstance, I guess, of modern medicine. You can say sometimes some doctors are quick to write a pill, write a prescription for a pill that might not be absolutely necessary, that there are ranges that things can be in and still be normal. Um, and so yes, my thyroid might have looked a little bit on the low side, but it was still within the normal range. And, and the long and short of it was that I did not need to be on that medicine. And so after three months, um, my husband and I started trying again and it was, uh, it was coming up on our anniversary. So, so it was, must've been May it was cause it was coming up on our anniversary and, I said, well, we were going out for dinner and I said, well, you know, maybe I'm pregnant. I should probably take a test before we go out to dinner because I don't want to drink if I'm pregnant. And uh, so I took the test and it was negative. The pregnancy test was negative. So we went out to dinner and we had oysters and champagne and (laughs) everything you're not supposed to have that they say you shouldn't have when you're pregnant Um, and had a great night. And a few days later, I still didn't get my period. And I said, well, that's weird. You know, I know I took the test, but let me take another one. And I peed on the stick and that one came up positive. And I remember yelling to my husband who was in the other room. I said, babe. And at this time, I just didn't bother trying to make it any kind of fun surprise or anything like that. We had already been disappointed twice. I just, you know, he was there. I wanted to just tell him. And, uh, and he says, yeah, what's up? And I said, well, maybe I shouldn't have had the oysters and champagne and he kind of came running around the corner and he said, are you pregnant? And I said, I'm pregnant. And uh, we were super excited. And and yet that fear obviously was still there um, of, is this one going to take? Did I give my body a long enough rest period to do what it needs to do? And so the next day I called the doctor's office. This is the new OB now. And I called him and uh, made my appointment to go in. And he said, okay, you know, we'll see you in a week. I don't want you to think that you're going to see a heartbeat. It's, you know, if you just peed on the stick, you just got a positive. If you're only four or five weeks pregnant, you know, we don't normally expect to see a heartbeat until nine weeks. So just, yes, absolutely. Come in. Let me check you. But just know that that's where we're at. I said, okay, great. Went in, checked me, and actually we had a heartbeat. And I just laid there crying, getting to hear that heartbeat, knowing that it was there, that my baby was growing. Um... I actually think I was a little further along than I thought I was, but I was still so scared. And so, you know, my doctor gives me my prenatal vitamins and um, there was something else that he put me on and I'm going to draw a blank on what it was right now, but there was something else that he put me on to sort of, that was meant to help maintain the pregnancy. I want to say it was a hormone of some sort. It's been 12 years, you guys. Um, And so... I did everything he told me, but here's what I also love about uh, Dr. Heckmeyer was that he knew my fear. He knew that my fear was that I would lose the baby again. And he knew the stress that that could put on 
a newly pregnant woman. And he didn't want me to have that unnecessary stress on my body. And so while it's not normal to get an ultrasound every week, especially in like the first trimester, he actually purposely scheduled me for an ultrasound every week just to reassure me. It might've been every 10 days. Um, just to reassure me that the heartbeat was still there. And I can't tell you what a relief that was. Like knowing that I had that appointment every week or week and a half and getting to go in and hear the heartbeat of the baby and know that everything was okay and that the baby was continuing to grow and progress. And until, basically until I got to, I think it was right about 10 or 11 weeks when we felt like, okay, the pregnancy was definitely out of the more dangerous zone of losing it and that uh, like it was going to be okay. He had let me come in and he actually at, at, at sort of that ultrasound point, I think it was like 10 or 11 weeks. He said, okay, I'm not going to have you come in this often anymore. And I kind of had this look on my face and he said, now autumn, the baby is fine. You know, it was the thyroid medicine. We figured out what the problem was. You're not on the medicine anymore. Your baby's fine. And he's, and then he told me, cause I didn't know it. He told me, I let you come in. I, I, you know, that's not normal to come in, but I let you do it because I wanted to make sure you didn't put unnecessary stress on yourself and on your body and the baby. And so I was, like I said, very thankful for that. And from that point on, everything progressed just as it was supposed to. Uh, and Dominic started growing in my belly. Um, already had the name picked out for a boy. We had our names picked out for a boy and a girl. I had had already had him picked him out probably for like a year. I already knew if he's a boy, it's this, if it's girl, it's that I couldn't wait to find out, uh, if I was having a boy or a girl. Yes, we did find out. I am very impatient and I am very much a control (laughs) freak. So I was not waiting until the baby was born to find out what I was having. I wanted to shop for clothes and I wanted to get the crib and the bedding and all the things. And, um, Sure enough, found out that we were, in fact, having a baby boy, and it was just the best. I actually had a really amazing pregnancy once I maintained my pregnancy. Um, My first trimester with Dom, I was very nauseous. I couldn't eat after 4 p.m., but other than that, everything was great, you guys. Like, I loved being pregnant. I loved feeling him kick and move, you know, by the last couple weeks, it was everything I could do to just um, sit there. At the end of the day, I would come home from work and I would sit there on the couch and just be like, just come, like just arrive. Like I just, I couldn't wait for him to be born. And I remember I would just sit there on the couch and like text on my phone and, you know, my family would ask me like, how are you feeling? And I'd be like, nothing, nothing. My sister at this point had had uh, my second nephew. And my sister had both my nephews early. She had them at 36 weeks. So I kept thinking at 36 weeks, like Dom must be coming, you know, we're built the same. So he's must be coming. No, Dominic did not come at 36 weeks. He came exactly one week early, you guys. And I am going to share that birth story with you because um, it's funny. You have to always be prepared for the, the things that you don't expect to happen. So as I mentioned, I had a specialty in pre and postnatal fitness. And when I was pregnant with Dominic, I was actually studying to potentially become a doula, which is like a birthing coach for, for women because I had had, um, 
you know, I had had my two miscarriages and I just remember feeling alone. And I also had a special team pre and postnatal fitness. I was working with most of my clientele was pregnant women or women who had just had babies. And I figured why not be a doula also like what a great addition to my business. So I had read all the books. I was studying all the things. And I remember reading one of the books one night and getting to the chapter on C-sections. This goes to show you my age that I was 27 at the time. And uh, I was like, I don't need to read that chapter. I'm not having a C-section. I definitely didn't want to have a C-section. I wanted to have a natural birth. I didn't even want to use drugs at all. My goal was to have a natural birth. And my thought was, I'm super fit. I work out. I've got a strong core. I've got strong legs. I'm pushing this baby out in like three pushes. So I skipped that chapter and uh, but read everything else. But also, guys, at what I should also say, girls, ladies, uh, let me tell you the one other thing I didn't do at 27 years old. I didn't read the books about what happens after the baby comes out. Like what do you what all the things that you should expect after you have the baby I'll get, I'll get to that. I'll get to some funny stories. So at the time, my husband was a restaurant manager. So he, I worked during the day. He worked at night. We kind of saw each other like in the middle of the day. I would get home around four he, and that's, or maybe I'd get home around three and he would leave around three thirty or four. So I remember like he left for work. He was like, okay, you know, I'll be home at two. I mean, that's when he got home. He'd get home at like two o'clock in the morning after the restaurant closed and cleaned up and everything. I said, okay. And uh, it was a week from my due date. So we knew I was getting close, but first pregnancies, you can always go a week past your due date. So I could have still had time. Went to bed and around midnight, I woke up horrible cramps, or at least that's what it felt like, horrible cramps. It wasn't cramps, it was contractions. Um, And I remember waking up and uh, I was like, ooh, that was painful. And uh, it passed. And so I laid there and I kind of started to go back to sleep and another one came and I thought, hmm, these are probably contractions. And so uh, I remember timing them and they were kind of sporadic, maybe 10 to 12-ish minutes apart, like they maybe a little bit longer even on some of them. And they had said, you know, you don't really need to come to the hospital until they're about five minutes apart. So I called my husband at work. I said, hey, I'm in labor. And he's like, oh my gosh, do you need me to come home? I said, no, they're, they're still pretty far apart. Like we're good. And he got home around two in the morning and he said, how are you? And I said, you know, they hurt, <laughs> they hurt, but I'm okay. And they were maintaining that distance. They really weren't coming any faster. A couple more hours go by five o'clock in the morning. They're getting more intense. And I get up to go to the bathroom and I had some blood. So I called the doctor and I said, you know, I'm, I'm in labor. He asked how far apart are the contractions? I said about eight minutes. He said, okay, you know, probably could wait it out a little longer, but all right, if you have some bleeding, he said, did your water break? I said, no. He said, all right, well, come on in and um, we'll just check. So we go, you know, we get the the bag, the overnight bag, and we go to the hospital. And mind you, it's like six o'clock in the morning we get there. I hadn't really slept that night because the contractions were there enough to keep me awake pretty much the whole night. And um, so they take me into the labor room. He checks me and he says, you're, you're barely a centimeter dilated. And I say, okay. And I remember they gave me like a little like ice pop because it was early and, uh, just something to suck on, like kind of keep my mouth wet. They were, he was trying to decide what he wanted me to do. And he said, you want to have this baby naturally, right? And I said, yes. And he goes, go home. And I looked at him like, go home. And he's like, 
go home. Your contractions are still kind of far apart. You're only one centimeter. Your water hasn't broken. He's like, if you stay here, they're going to leave you laying in this bed and that's not going to help anything progress. He's like, just go home, rest, come back. If your water, like when your water breaks or when they're closer together. So, okay, we leave, um, we go and get some coffee. I get a muffin. We go home. They're still there. They're seven minutes apart. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to walk this baby out. We lived in a like pretty nice neighborhood. We were um, here in Los Angeles. like So we lived in what's called Studio City. And down the street is a main street called Ventura Boulevard. Lots of restaurants on it. So we go home. At this point, it's probably like eight or nine in the morning. And I say, let's take a walk around the block. So all right. My husband says, all right, we're gonna walk around the block. So we're walking. And, you know, as every contraction comes, I'm like stopping doubled over, like, don't talk to me. Let me just breathe. And, uh, <laughs> he's like, are you sure? Do you want to go home? I'm like, no, we're going to, I'm going to walk this baby out. And uh, so we go around the block and I'm like, okay. So then we go inside. Now at this point, my husband hasn't really slept because he had come home from work and then he didn't really sleep in the middle of the night either because the contractions were there. So he says, I'm going to get some rest. I'm like, okay, you get rest. I kind of go about the day sort of cleaning the house, making sure everything's ready for the baby. When we come home, I have my big stability ball. I'm bouncing on that. I'm watching TV. Uh, lunchtime rolls around. He wakes up. I say, let's walk down the street. We walk to Panera bread. Same thing. I'm like doubled over breathing. Uh, we come back home. I'm like, okay, the water still hasn't broken. Contractions are getting closer. Maybe they're six minutes at this point. I'm like, I'm going to relax in the tub. And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't relax in the tub. And he's like, why? I'm like, well, if my water breaks, I won't know my water broke. And he's like, it's fine. Just relax in the tub. So I've, I'm like, okay, I get in the tub because I'm trying to help my body relax so that maybe I'll dil- dilate more. So get in the tub, relax. You guys, at this point, it's now seven o'clock at night. And I'm like, I, I just want to go back to the hospital. I'm like, I've been at home laboring this whole day, like, I must be dilated at this point. The contractions were so intense. So fully had my full day of food, breakfast, lunch, dinner, had taken two walks. You know, we drive back to the hospital. I'm fully convinced like, okay, I'm going to be like seven or eight centimeters dilated and this process is going to get going. So go into the labor room. Doctor comes in. All right, what'd you tell him? Like, you know, I walked all day, da, da, da. He said, all right, let me check you. Checks me and he says, Autumn, you're a centimeter and a half. And I said, how is that possible? And he's like, well, the baby's at negative five station. So there's, there's stations when you're going through labor. Negative five is basically like the baby is all the way up in you, chilling. And, uh, and then there's like zero or positive. So, and that's where you're supposed to be at when you push. Dom was nowhere near there. Dom was like stuck up in my rib cage. He was perfectly happy inside. Whether my body was contracting or not, he was like, "Mm, mom, I'm good. And so he was at negative five. So his head was not bearing down on my pelvis, which is part of what helps you dilate. So that wasn't happening. The doctor gives me two options. I can put you on a morphine rest and, you know, get some sleep and maybe your body will relax and dilate. Or I could give you Pitocin and speed up the process and we'll get this thing going. And I was like, I don't want a morphine rest. Like, I don't want morphine. I don't want morphine for me and the baby. I was like, absolutely not. That's not an option. Not to mention, I had already been in labor for 
I don't know, 15, 16, almost 17 hours at this point. I was like, let's get this, let's get this party started. I'm ready for this baby to come out. I don't want to go on morphine rest. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you Pitocin and I got to give you an epidural. Okay. Well, everything that I said I didn't want to do was now starting to happen. I didn't want an epidural. I didn't want Pitocin. I didn't want morphine. I wanted a natural birth. So here I am again, you know, finally pregnant and had a really what I would deem an easy pregnancy. And now I'm in labor and my body's again, kind of not doing what it's supposed to. And I'm like, what? how is this possible? You know, here I am again, the fitness expert, you know, I'm supposed to have the specialty in pre and postnatal as if knowledge means that my body as if like knowledge in my brain means that my physical body is supposed to just do it. It <laughs> doesn't work that way. Um, so sure enough, I get the epidural crazy feeling, uh, felt like each one of my legs weighed 500 pounds. It was very freaky. And, um, and then the doctor gives me Pitocin. So I'm laying in the bed. At this point, one of my friends had come to the hospital and uh, Kent was laying on the couch. He's like, I'm going to try to sleep a little bit. Poor guy was so tired. And I said, okay. And I'm watching TV. Adventures in Babysitting comes on. Yes, one of my favorite movies. So I'm good, right? Like, I don't feel the contractions. I'm chilling in the bed watching Adventures in Babysitting, Kent sleeping. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm wet. Like, I'm laying in wetness. And I think, oh my God, did I pee? Like, I must have peed myself because I can't feel anything. So I didn't know I have to go to the bathroom, not realizing that I have a catheter. So I wake Kent up and I'm like, Kent, you got to get the nurse. I think I peed. And he's like, what? How could you pee? And he's like, don't you have a catheter? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I was a little delirious at this point. So the nurse comes in and I say to her, you know, I think I went to the bathroom. And she said, oh, no, honey, your water broke. But it had only been like an hour since they had given me the Pitocin. So I dilated real quick. Doctor comes back in, checks me. He's like, oh, okay, you're at eight and a half, nine centimeters. And he's like, we're getting very close. So he leaves, he comes back a little while later and he says, let me check you again, Autumn. And at this point he had turned off the epidural because he wanted me to be able to feel the push. Like he wanted me to be able to feel the contraction and feel myself bearing down so that it made it easier to push. And he checks me and there's that damn look on his face again. And I'm like, what? And he says, uh, he says, the baby's sunny side up. That basically means he's face up instead of face down. And he said, Autumn, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot more. And I already knew that. And he actually used the medical term for it, which once again, I'm just drawing a blank on all my medical terms as I, as I record this. Guys, it's been a while since I studied it. But basically, his skull was going to be pushing against my pelvic bone. So it was going to be bone on bone. And he said, it's, it's going to be very painful. I just want you to be ready for it. And I said, okay. And he says, on the next contraction, you're going to push. And sure enough, the next contraction comes and I bear down and push. And the, it, you guys, it was a pain like I had never felt. I'm screaming. I'm crying. Like I'm pushing as hard as I can. And mind you, Dom's still at negative five. He never drops. He never drops down to where he's supposed to. He's not really in the birth canal like he's supposed to be. So 
I push and he moves down. So his head kind of moves into the birth canal. But as soon as I stop pushing, he pops back up. Okay. That contraction passes and we, you know, we wait for the next one. The next one comes. Same thing. Screaming, crying. It's so ungodly painful. And uh, I push and push and push. His head comes down. He pops back up. And uh, this goes on and on for a good 20 minutes. And the doctor, so at this point, my best friend is back. She's holding one leg. Kent's now holding the other leg. And the doctor's like, okay, Autumn, come on, you can do this. And he says, on the next one, uh, he looks at my best friend and he tells her, I want you to count to 10 for Autumn. Like count to 10 out loud for her. So she knows she's got to push for 10 seconds. My best friend at the time was a dancer, you guys. So the contraction comes. I start to push. And she starts counting two, four, six, eight. And I just look at her and the doctor looks at her and he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm a dancer. I don't know why she was counting two, four, six, eight. And he looks at Kent and he says, count to 10 for your wife. And Kent goes, one, two. This, you guys, this is how long the pauses are that he's taking. And the doctor looks at both of them and he goes, stop talking, both of you. Autumn, count to 10 in your head. Be, like neither one of them could just count to a normal 10. So sure enough, I push again and the nurse is sort of standing up by my head and she's watching the fetal monitor. And she looks at the doctor and she says, D-cells. Well, I know what that means because as I said, I had been studying to become a doula. D-cells mean that my son's heart rate is decelerating and that's not good. That's very dangerous. Uh, could be that he was under too much stress. Could be a cord wrapped around his neck. Could have been could have been a bunch of things, but basically his heart rate dropping is not a good thing. And the doctor looked at me and he said, Autumn, you gave it your best shot. Um, I'm taking you in for a C-section. And actually I had already, you guys, I had actually... I was, I was, before I started pushing, I was so tired. I was 25 and a half hours in to labor. And then when the doctor came in and, and told me he was sunny side up, I said, can we just, can I just have a C-section? Like, I don't want, he said it was going to be painful. And he said, no, you said you wanted to do this. You said you wanted to push him out. I'm not going to let you not try. You'll regret it if you don't try. You'll always wonder if you could have. And so he made me try. So I tried for an hour. And then when Dominic's heart rate started to decelerate, he said, that's it. You're going in for the C-section. So we go in. My husband gets to come in the room. He's got to stay up by my head. And whatever they gave me so that they could do the C-section, I was convulsing on the table. But your arms are pinned down. Felt like the longest longest day of my life. Like on that table felt, I felt like I was on the table for two hours because your arms are pinned down and I'm half out of it. And my whole body is trembling to the point where I'm wondering how the doctor is possibly cutting a straight line because in my mind, my whole body is like shaking up off the table. It wasn't that bad, obviously, because you are pinned down. But, um, they end up giving me, I think, Demerol to try to help with the shaking. But it was just, the shaking at that point was so painful. And I remember fighting it. I just wanted to stay awake. I needed to hear Dominic cry. And finally, he pulls Dominic out. And I hear him cry. And they cut his cord. They wrap him up. And Kent brings him over to me. And he puts him by my head. And I look at him and I said, is he okay? And he said, he's okay. You guys... <laughs> 
That was it. That's all I needed to hear was that he was okay. I must have passed out after that. I woke up in the recovery room. I thought it was like seconds. Like I thought maybe I sort of blacked out for a second and woke up. So I wake up in the recovery room and the nurse is in there checking on me and my husband's sitting next to me, but Dom's not there. And I'm like, where's the baby? And they said, the baby's okay. He's in the nursery. And I was like, I looked at Kent and I said, get me my baby. Like here I am, right? I had just labored for 27 hours, gone through the C-section. I come to, and my kid is not in the room. My baby is not there. I was like, and the nurse said, sweetie, you need to wait until the, the Demerol wears off. We don't want you to drop him. And I was like, drop him. I'm laying in bed. I was like, get me Dominic. I'm fine. By the way, I wasn't fine. I could barely keep my eyes open, but you know, mom instinct. And, um, so they went and they got him and they brought him to me and they put him in my arms and it was just the most awesome, magical moment of my life. There he is just looking up at me, smelling so good, like new baby. Um, it was just, it was so good, but I was so tired. The medicine was so strong. And uh, my body had been through hell. And I remember looking at my husband and whispering to him and saying, don't let me drop him. And he was like, what? And I was like, I can't really keep my eyes open. Don't let me drop him. Obviously, I wasn't going to drop him. I was in the bed. But um, he like, so my husband sat in the bed next to me, sort of put his arm around the bottom of Dominic to make sure he didn't go anywhere either. And you know, I thought, okay, that's it. Like I had the C-section. Great. I'm going to get to go home in the morning. Well, you don't get to go home in the morning. There's a whole thing that needs to happen. Once you have surgery, obviously they need, like I have staples in me. Um, Dominic had been through a lot with his heart rate decelerating. So they wanted to keep their eye on him. Uh, I next day doctor, you know, checks on me, checks on Dom, tells me I did great. Everything's good. You know, C-section looks good. Um, but then they tell me Dominic has jaundice, so he can't go home. All I wanted was to go home. At least that's what I thought, you guys. I just remember keep saying, like, I want to go home. I want to go home. Now, mind you, Dominic's a January baby, and they say he's a little jaundice. So I was breastfeeding. Um, they're like, you know, keep breastfeeding. That helps a lot. And they're like, you can try to sit next to the window, get a little sunlight. That can help, too. Um, obviously, there's not that much sunlight in the middle of January, but, you know, I was doing the best I could. Finally, three days into being at the hospital, mind you, I had packed for all of a day because I thought I was going to go to the hospital, push him out, and go home the next day. And my birth plan did not go according to plan at all. And I remember just thinking to myself, I should have read the chapter on C-sections. Like, I don't even really know what to expect. Like, my recovery, nothing. And finally, after three days, they tell us we can go home. And I was so excited. All I wanted to do was get home, get to my bed you know, have my own food, just just be at home with Dom. Y'all, maybe I should write a book. I'm sure somebody's written a book on what motherhood is really like because <laughs> I was not prepared for being at home. Um, and I mean that in a fun way. So we, you know, we get home and now there's no nurse to come help take care of the baby when I need sleep. You know, even though Dom was in my room at the hospital the whole time, I didn't ever had them take him away to the nursery. There was still nurses to come check on me and people, you know, bringing me food and, you know, lactation consultants coming in to make sure the latch was right, all the things. That first night at home was crazy. You know, he's a brand new baby. He's crying every hour on the hour. 
I'm beyond exhausted. My body is taking so much more energy because it's trying to heal from a major surgery. Um, you know, I'm, I was strictly breastfeeding, so it's not like my husband could really help anytime Dom wanted to eat. And my kid likes to eat. I remember by the middle of the night, we didn't have a TV in our bedroom and we were up every hour and we just figured like, we might as well be able to like watch TV or something. We dragged our mattress, like when I say we, he, my husband dragged our mattress from our bedroom into the living room and laid it on the floor so we could at least have a TV. Like, so we're like laying on the mattress and I forgot to put in like your boob protectors, your little things that you put over in case you start leaking so I wake up in the middle of the night. My shirt is soaked. I'm leaking milk everywhere. <laughs> Dominic's once again crying. I'm trying to change at this point. You guys, I know I'm being graphic. Sorry if men are listening, but this is just real life. Like I remember like going to change my shirt and I'm changing my shirt and my boobs are squirting milk. Like they were so engorged because he hadn't fed in like an hour, hour and a half that they just filled up so much that like even the slightest touch and it was like water guns. And I just was like crying. I'm crying. Dominic's crying. <laughs> my boobs are leaking milk everywhere. And I was like, what is happening? I remember calling my sister the next day and telling her about it. And she's like, you have to put in the pads. And I was like, I didn't know. <laughs> like, she's like, oh, well, yeah, you just put in pads so that if they leak, that the pads catch it. And that began my adventure into motherhood. There was many more crazy fun stories over the next few months of um, of just, you know, figuring it out as I went. I remember being home one day with Dominic and putting him on his changing table to, he had a, a dirty diaper. So I'm like changing his poop diaper. I'm wiping him. And as I'm wiping him, he starts peeing everywhere. So there's pee like shooting up all over me, all over him, all over the changing table. And I'm like, ah, so I throw like one of the cloths over him so that the pee stops going everywhere and he finishes peeing. And now I have to move him from the changing table to my bed so that I can clean the changing table. So I like lay him in the middle of my bed. And as I'm taking the sheets off the changing table, he starts pooping all over my bed again. And I just was like standing there laughing and crying and thinking like, there must be a camera on me. Like This can't really be happening. But why doesn't anybody tell you that this is what it's like? It was a mess. I was a mess. But I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, and that's it. That's that's my life after miscarriages, you guys. I had two. It was awful. It definitely left a mark. It scarred me. Um, it brought a lot of fear on before I had him. But... You know, when you get to this point, and I know I'm very lucky. I know that I'm lucky that I figured out what the problem was, that it was a medication. It was easy to fix. I'm lucky that I have Dominic. I know it doesn't always work out that way for everybody. I say this a lot. I say everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in failures. I believe in redirects. And even with something as tragic as two miscarriages and the disappointment that comes with that, Celebrating Dominic's 12th birthday, this little boy's 12th birthday, my son's 12th birthday. Even though, you know, I wanted those first two pregnancies so bad, I couldn't imagine my life without this exact child. Like, I couldn't imagine not having him. And I'm thankful every day that he 
is my son. And I'm obviously, I wouldn't have known any better had one of the other pregnancies stuck. Um, and I would have loved whomever that baby was, but this is the baby I was supposed to have. This is my son. I celebrate him every chance I get. And like I said, he's my, he's my rainbow baby. Um, and I'm just so thankful for him. So to all the women out there that have, you know, had miscarriages, I feel you. I understand. Um, I'm sending you all the love because I know how painful it is. I'm just wishing you and your significant other nothing but the best and that you get to have your rainbow baby as well. Um, and that's it, you guys. That's my story. Like I said, I know there's so many other stories out there. I just hope that it gives somebody else a little sense of hope, a little sense of maybe peace that it, it, even with the struggle, something beautiful and amazing can come out the other side. So that is it. I thank you all for tuning in to Let's Do Life. Let's continue to do life as positive as possible with as much love in our hearts as possible um, and just supporting each other as much as possible. Thank you again for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. This show is produced by Will Sterling for Podcast One. Be sure to download new episodes every week and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at podcastone.com. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. Hi, everyone. It's Heather Dubrow telling you to check out Heather Dubrow's World on Podcast One. Every week, we discuss the hippest, hottest, newest trends in health, wellness, parenting, style, and so much more, including all things housewives and botched. Download new episodes of Heather Dubrow's World on Thursdays and Fridays on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music.